out of here, huh? <clears throat> Thought maybe you'd want to hear that. Actually, I just forgot to dismiss you, but anyway, that worked out okay. Well, we're glad you're here <clears throat> tonight. We trust that uh, before it's over with, you'll be glad you're here too. Teenagers, yeah, you got to go too. That's right. <clears throat> See how much they want to stay here. They don't really want to listen to Mr. Hamilton. Hey, they're going, preacher, preacher. Maybe not. Okay. All right, take your Bible, turn over the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read through. We've been talking about growing in the Christian life, and we're going to continue to do so. Again, uh, obviously one of the, I think, great travesties in our in our churches is that in many cases we have a, a decent head knowledge, but we really fail in our heart knowledge and the application of our, our word, uh, the Bible. And also we struggle with being able to express and share with others our beliefs. We often have integrated people's sayings and their stand and <clears throat> their position as ours, but we really don't know why that is. We simply regurgitate basically what others have told us or taught us. We really have no real foundation of our own to share or to tell others about it. And so as we go through growing in the Christian life, our goal is to uh, maybe be a little bit more grounded. Uh, It's important that you can express and explain these truths, not just, uh, you know, listen to someone else do it. And so we want to try to do our best over these next weeks to, to try to accomplish some of that. And uh, trust that you'll take time outside of church. There's no amount of church preaching that will help train you and equip you for the ministry and for life. It has to be done on your own. Uh, If you just listen to preaching, you'll never grow in the Christian life. You just won't. You you, you know, if this is all you do, if this is all you get, then you're still a baby Christian. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but that you're still a baby Christian. Because you don't know your Bible. You, you, you know about your Bible, but you don't know it. It's like going to a math class. Can you imagine going to a math class and having a teacher that sat in 12 years of high, high, uh, junior, well, grade school and high school, went through college, and then you say, can you explain how to do that problem? And they say, well, no, but I know a teacher that taught me that could tell you. You'd be like, well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm listening to you. I want you to tell me. And uh, I think that's how Christians are. You know, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you get a hold of my pastor? Or why don't I have my preacher stop by? And they say, well, no, I'm talking to you. I mean, you're supposed to be the Christian, aren't you? I want to hear from you. Show me from the Bible what you believe. And that's really our goal. That's what we want. Uh, that's, that's when you begin to take hold of your Christian life and, and it really becomes important to you. And, and you're able to effectively serve the Lord is when you can really put meat on those, those, those skeletons, so to speak, of the Christian life. Let's go ahead and read this, Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, 
Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I want you to look at verse 17. That'll be where our text begins and lies. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Every Christian ought to seek to understand what the will of the Lord is. If we took that verse and we begin to look at it, we could almost say, based on what we're reading there, when he says, be not unwise, I mean, the opposite of unwise would be foolish, or of, of wise would be unwise, or uh, of, of wise could even be called foolish. We could say the opposite would be foolish. And what he's basically saying is that we don't want to be foolish. We don't want to be in a position where we have no discernment. We need to understand and be able to discern the things of the Lord. And some Christians obviously are unwise or foolish because they, have, they do not possess the discernment in the things of the Lord. They, and as a result of that, mind you, it disqualifies them from real usefulness in the service of God. You must understand what the will of the Lord is. The reason why Community Baptist Temple has only this number of people in it tonight is because the majority failed to understand what the will of the Lord is. That's the reality of it. They do not grasp, they cannot comprehend, they do not understand. Maybe they're ignorant of it, I don't know. But they do not know it. As a result of that, they do not understand the need to even be here. Because they don't fully comprehend the will of the Lord. The Bible says, in this particular case, Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We must understand what the will of the Lord is as believers, if we're going to be effectively used of God. And so, tonight, I just want to begin looking at the will of God. I want to note a couple of progressions, I should say, how it works a little bit. It's not comprehensive what we'll deal with, but it is, it's going to lay a good foundation, okay? So I just want to take a few moments tonight, hopefully uh, get through a good portion of this, if not all of it, and I want to talk about the will of God a little bit. And uh, when we talk about God's will, mind you, realize that we're talking about God's desire or His wish, if you will. If we could keep it as simple as we can. We could say, what's God's desire? And so, without further ado, let's have a quick word of prayer and then begin to consider what the will of the Lord is because only in understanding what the will of the Lord is can you really be wise in the things of Christ and can you be fully effective on His behalf. Father, we come to You. We ask You for Your leadership. Lord, again, we certainly need You to reveal to us areas of our life that are weak or in need of strengthening. Lord, help us to be open to your spirit speaking to the word of God as it convicts. Lord, may we allow you to, uh, Father, have your way in our life. <clears throat> reveal, reveal your will to us. And Lord, it is written and it is expressed in this book, the word of God. And we're glad that tonight we can take a few moments and note it. And in understanding it, Father, we can be more effective on your behalf. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. (coughs) Excuse me. Boy, that didn't help a bit, did it? (coughs) All right. (coughs) First of all, it's God's will that all men should be saved. That's just God's will. Now, again, we try to make this God's will thing so complicated, you know. It's so mysterious. It's so out there. We just can't ever understand it. I thought you'd like to watch me drink something. 
<clears throat> wow, that was refreshing. <clears throat> but uh, we, we, we like to make it almost mysterious. You go around, you know, what's the will of God? Like it's some kind of, some kind of uh, um, you know, mystery. We'll never figure it out. We'll never understand it. We'll just search our whole life and hopefully one day we'll run into it. <clears throat> but that's not how it is. We know without a doubt that it is God's will that all men should be saved. Not just the ones that are white, not just the ones that are black, not just the ones that are Mexican, not just the ones that are Americans, not just the ones that are male, not just ones that are female. All people of all races, all creeds, all nationalities, all gender. It doesn't matter. All are to be saved. That's God's will. doesn't matter what their professed faith is. I don't care if they're, they say that they're uh, Mormon, or they say that they're Baptist, or they say they're Muslim, or they say that they're Jewish. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't say it. Roman Catholic. It, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, they're a Buddhist. Um, <clears throat> uh, whatever it might be, it does not matter. God wants everyone saved. That's His will. That's God's desire. That everyone be saved. In 2 Peter 3.9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. He's not willing that any should perish. His desires that none perish. You say, what about our enemies? And what about those that are on the opposite side of, of, of democracy and so forth? It doesn't matter. God's not willing that any should perish. That's His will, that all are saved and that none perish. That's His desire. But we know God's design. God's design is found in Christ, our Redeemer. He intended that all come to Jesus Christ and that they come to Him. And as a result of coming to Him, they're saved. In John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. God had a design and He sent Christ so that all men could be saved. That's all there is to it. Your worst enemy is someone that God wants to see saved. <clears throat> That's all there is to it. I'm not saying that you don't have reason to be concerned about them being around you or your family, potentially, but I want you to realize it's God's will that all be saved. So if you don't have a heart for all to be saved, you are out of the will of God. You're messed up. Well, I, I, there's some people I'd rather just see die and go to hell. Listen, that's how some Christians believe. If you've had somebody hurt or harm you, there's nothing easy about wanting them to go to heaven. <clears throat> you want them, you want them to pay for their sin, especially if it's against you and your family. But sadly enough, that's not the will of God, though. <clears throat> the will of God is that they come to their senses and get saved and escape hell, not end up living there and being tormented there forever. God's desire is that all men come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's His desire, it's His design. It's God's delight as well. Of course, in His great mercy, He's provided this salvation to everyone. And although not everyone will accept God's provision, I mean, that's just a reality of it. And as a matter of fact, the Word of God never leads us to believe that every single person will be saved. We, we never come to that conclusion reading the Bible. But it does teach that God is pleased when they are saved. Over in the book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one that's a sinner that repenteth. In the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Well, who's at the center of the angels? Who do they wait on hand and foot? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's, there's joy in His heart, in His life. He takes great pleasure when someone comes to Christ. <clears throat> so it is... God's will that all men should be saved. Now you say, what makes that so important? Well, here's the point. If you don't see that or understand that to be God's will, you'll never see a need for it to become your purpose. You'll never see that. You'll never recognize it to be your purpose. Wherefore, be ye not unwise... But understanding what the will of the Lord is. Don't be unwise tonight. Understand that it is God's will that all men get saved. And if it's God's will that all men, all women, all boys and girls are saved, then it ought to be pretty important to you that they're saved too. 
God's will that all men should be saved. Number two, it's God's will that all those, excuse me, it's God's will that those whom he saves should be sanctified. Sanctified. That word sanctified literally means made holy or consecrated. Set apart for sacred service. Set apart for sacred service. Sanctified. Sanctified. Set apart for sacred service. Sanctified. Listen, you know what you're going to do? You're going to read that in your Bible one day. You'll go, I wonder what that means. And you had a chance to learn it right now and then to go home and memorize it. You'll never grow in your Christian life till you make a point to grow. <clears throat> Hearing me say it once will never get the job done. Twice will never get the job done. You've got to make it a point. That's why I'm, I'm telling you, it's important that many of you intend a class at the Bible College. You, you really need to do that. It'll help you tremendously. It'll force you to have to learn when you really don't always want to push yourself to learn. <clears throat> I thought about taking extra classes as well. Not for at our Bible College, obviously, but master's programs, doctorate courses. Why? Because I want to push myself a little bit. Because there's things I'll learn when I have to that I won't when I don't need to or have to. You know, oh, I know enough. I know enough. The problem is I don't know enough. I can always, I need to grow in Christ. I need to continually push myself to memorize and to learn the Word. And that's true with every believer. And so sometimes structure helps me. And it may just be that it could help you. Made holy, consecrated. It means to be set apart for sacred service, sanctified. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 40, verse 1 through 3. What a wonderful passage. It's one of the verses that began the ministry here. <clears throat> when uh, uh, Sherry and I started the church, um, Jeremiah 33, 3 and Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3 were, were the verses that the Lord had put on my heart. Here they are. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1 through 3. Note this. We're going to see, in a sense, sanctification at work. We're going to see a picture of it, if you will. To the chief musician of Psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. Sanctified. The definition? Set apart for sacred service. In this passage, David goes from the mire to the mountain. He goes from the mire to the mountain. Look at what's happening here. He says, he, he took me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. He went from the mire... To the mountain. That's exactly what happens when God sanctifies you and I. He takes us out of the mire and He places us on a mountain. A solid rock. And there He establishes us. We're no longer to go back into the muck and the mire. We are established and we're on the rock now. We're on the mountain. Sadly enough, too many times we note a little trail that leads back down into the valley. Right back into the same mire that we were rescued out of, that we were taken from. We've got to be so careful in our Christian lives. It's so tempting to want to take the easy road down. I know when I was riding my bike uh, here on vacation recently, I was on the beach and it was, uh, uh, it was windy. I mean, it was so windy. It was unbelievably windy. And uh, I decided to ride... A certain direction. And man, I mean, it was against the wind the whole way. I, I was dying. I was dying. I, 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 there was a few times I got off my bike and had to walk because my legs were hurting so bad. I had to do it. I couldn't handle it. It was just turn around, though. Go the other way. It was like nothing. <sighs> I could have went 10 miles like that. No time. It was that windy. It was that gusty. It was that horrible. I couldn't wait to get off that beach and get back on some streets where it wasn't windy like it was so windy. It was still windy, but it wasn't like gusty like that. You know, the 
the, the sand was blowing up on me and all that stuff. I was like, man, I thought it was supposed to be nice out here. It was a lot easier to go the one direction than it was the other. You know what? Life's like that, isn't it? Let's just face it. There are times that it's easier to go one direction than the other. And you know what? Downhill is always easier than traveling uphill. At least if you don't have something motorized. And boy, doesn't the devil know that. And sometimes it's easier to walk right back down into the mud pit, downhill, than it is to stay up on topside. You've got to be so careful. Again, we have a wonderful picture of sanctification. And that's exactly what God intends for us. See, we're set apart for sure, but we're set apart for sacred service from the world. We're set apart from the world. See, there's two aspects of separation or sanctification. It's from the world. And we'll note the next one is unto service to God. Now, let's first of all note this separated apart. We're going to be separated apart for sacred service from the world. Okay, from the world. Look, if you will, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4. First Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4. You're taking a tremendous step by being here. That's a tremendous step. It's an important step. You, you've said a couple of things by being here tonight. You, you've said that although there's a number of things you could be doing, you're saying that, well, this is more important. Well, that's a huge step. That, that speaks about your heart, your desire, you know, what makes you tick. And that's important. You could easily be in the world doing something. I mean, not that you have to, but you could have just said, I could go do something else. I could be busy doing something somewhere, whether it's cutting my grass or taking care of my home or visiting grandma or whatever it might be. But you've made a decision to be here because it's important to you. Well, that's a tremendous step. That's, that's to be commended. In this case, as a believer, God's saying that there are times where we need to be constantly separated from the world even. And notice what he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Well, here we go now. Will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That's, that's, there's a lot going on in that verse. There's a lot happening there. Again, we're talking about sanctification again. And we're, we're talking about being set apart for sacred service. And he's saying, it's the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. You can't be set apart unto you know, sacred service when you're involved in the flesh. doesn't work that way. He goes, even so, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. He's talking about your body. Your body, your vessel. It houses your spirit. This is not who you are. This is just your, your house, your vessel. You see somebody laying in a casket, oh, doesn't he look wonderful? Well, first of all, he's not there. That's not him. Doesn't she look so natural? No. Are you kidding me? Natural? Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just saying, listen, that's not the person anyway. What, who they are, what they are, everything, about, that's inside. It's, that's just a shell. That's just a mere house. That's a vessel. That's a vessel. I can imagine there, you know, when I, when I die one day and everybody's walking by, oh, doesn't he look good? I'll be like, man, that's the first time I ever said that, first of all. But secondly, when I'll be thinking from heaven, are you kidding me? That's not even me. What are you, what? What are you talking about? I'm up here, guys. Every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. You, you should be utilizing your body, your hands and your feet and your ears, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, every aspect of your body, every aspect of your mind, 
in sanctification, set apart unto sacred service, and to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we need to be separated or set apart from the world, and that includes from our selfish desires. You got any selfish desires? Well, in James chapter 1, notice what it says. James chapter 1, verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. Okay, we're to be set apart from the world. That means our selfish desires. James 1, 13 through 15. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. Do you know how many people blame God for their falls? It's amazing to me. Why would God let that girl in my life? Why did he, he bring her into my life? What are you talking about? As though he's the reason why you fell? Is that what you're really saying? So we're going to blame God for falling now? Why did God allow me to hit the lottery and win a million dollars and it ruined my life? Are, what? You were praising God when you won it. And now you're blaming God. I'm just saying, if we're not careful, we're good at that. We're very good. Some young guy or young lady says, Oh, I just thank God so much for that girl. Oh, I'm so glad God brought you into my life. And then two months later, two months later, he's gone. I can't believe, why would God let me go through this? You understand where I'm going? Now, maybe you don't understand that, but I, I, I find that amazing. What I think they're really saying is, is that he tempted me with evil. But that's the Bible says that's impossible. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. It didn't say that he won't tempt you with good, but he'll tempt you with evil. It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin is and when uh, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. So as a result of this, if if we we, we look at this the way it's set up here, we want to. We want, to, we want to deny ourselves then. We don't want our selfish desires to have preeminence in our life. And we all have them. It's called nature. So what do we do? We have to die then. Jesus said in 1624 of the book of Matthew, He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. So we have to deny ourselves then. We've already been, it's God's will that we're sanctified. That were set apart from the world. Well, let me tell you something. That doesn't happen naturally. He separates us from the world in the sense that we are a peculiar people. But when it comes to practically to, to this vessel being sanctified and in, in honoring Christ with it, that's something you choose to do and I choose to do. That's a daily decision. And in order to do that, you have to realize that you have some selfish desires. And as a result, you've got to die to self. You've got to say no to the flesh. I've got to say no to the flesh. In 1 Corinthians 15.31, he says, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul stating, I die daily. I die daily. Selfish desires. But what about sinful delights? Well... Speaking to Moses in Egypt, the Bible says this about that. Hebrews 11, 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Well, that was a good decision. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We know, as adults in this room... There is pleasure in sin. Hold on. For a season. But to say there is no pleasure in sin is a lie. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we give the impression that there's nothing, nothing pleasurable about sin. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it is pleasurable. But it puts this statement on the end. It tags it on the end and says, for a season. It's just saying that sin is pleasurable. If I could draw something for you, it would start here and it would have labeled sin. And it would have pleasurable. And then it would stop here. 
And then it would say, for a season. And then all of a sudden, boom, no more pleasure. Sin and there's no pleasure. Because you know what replaces pleasure? Consequences. So for a while, it's going great and it looks good and it feels good and everything's wonderful. And we're fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Desirable, man, we're meeting those needs. Oh boy, this is it. This is all, it's awesome. And it can be for a season. And then all of a sudden, the word consequence takes the place of pleasure. And man, you got nothing but trouble. And that's how sin operates. That's how the devil reels them in, and he casts that hook of pleasure. And they go, man, this is awesome. And a teenager says, man, I love alcohol. This is the best, man. Getting, getting drunk didn't kill me. Taking those drugs didn't kill me. Having that relationship with that girl or boy didn't kill me. I'm still cool. It's good. It's all good. Give a little bit. Give a little bit. Reel it in closer. Give a little bit. A little bit more. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And that's exactly how the devil sucks them in. Because there is pleasure. That hook is pleasurable. But all of a sudden, he casts you into the, with the rest. And all you have is the consequences now. You fish out of water now. Selfish desires. Sinful delights. But we've got to be so careful that we say no to this flesh. I mean, we've been sanctified or set apart from the world. Not only selfish desires or sinful delights, but from satanic devices. And again, we touched on it already, but when you think about satanic devices, I think of the wiles of the devil. But it says here, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He says we've got to be careful. We need to understand how the devil operates and how he works. Why? Because if not, we'll be ignorant of that. And if we're ignorant of it, we're in real trouble. Because what happens is when he throws that hook of pleasure out, we're glad to bite on it because we somehow think it's going to benefit us. We don't understand that the devil stands at the other end of the pole just reeling us in for the kill. We've got to be careful. Listen, God doesn't separate you from the world to make you miserable. He separates you from the world so that you can be blessed. So you can escape, not the hook, but the consequences. See, God has the hook for all of us. There is pleasure. Everything that the world corrupts, God has already prospered. Hey, listen, the physical relationship between a man and a woman is a blessed physical union. It's a wonderful union. But it is not meant outside of marriage. The marriage bed is undefiled, but outside of that, it is defiled. And what it does is it's, he throws it in now, because that's how the devil's selling everything today. He throws it in and he hooks them and they're dead in the water already. Man, they're bit into it. They can't free themselves from it. And he reels them in and before they know it, they are a mess. Oh, they say it doesn't. It's not hurting me. It's not a problem. But listen, life isn't just five years long. It's an amazing thing. Boy, do not be... As he said, I love this verse when he says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I don't want Satan to have an advantage. Man, I'm going to tell you what. If you got a guy and there's two boxers in the ring and one of them has three more inches of reach than the one, he's got a big advantage. He's got three more inches when he extends his jab. And so, if we're standing head-to-head, toe-to-toe, and he goes... And you go... I throw mine, I, don't, I just miss his nose. I miss his nose. I miss his nose. He throws his, whack. Whack. What an advantage. What an advantage. I'm not going to win a fight like that usually. I'm in trouble. I've got to change my, my tactics now. I've got I to at least be aware that he has that advantage. I've got to be, well, I better stay away from it, or I better, in this case, I'm going to get close to him. Because I don't want him to have the reach advantage, so I take it away, I get up in close, and I fight him tight. Why? So that he can't use those long arms and can't get a lot of momentum hitting me. You didn't know I knew all that about boxing, did you? 
The bottom line is, is that he, I, don't, I better be aware of that extra three inches of reach, or he's got a tremendous advantage, and it'll cost me. And that's what the devil's doing to young men and young ladies and to adults today. We're not aware of it. We don't, we don't know the will of God. We're ignorant to His will and His wills that were sanctified, not so that we can suffer, but so that we can be blessed. He's trying to protect us. Not only see we say we're set apart, yes, from the world, but also to God. God doesn't pull us out just to be separated from something. He pulls us out so that we can separate it to something. And that from is the world and to is God. We need to be focused on Him. Take your Bible, look over at Hebrews chapter 12. What a great passage. And many of you may know this verse. I hope you do. You might already have this one nailed down. I want to encourage you to memorize Scripture. You'll be amazed how many people you'll better help if you can memorize Scripture. Not just because you can quote the verse, but because you'll know where to take people. When they have questions. You'll know. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. You know what one of the most difficult things to do uh, now in this new age that we live in, the computer age? Over the last ten years, I have struggled memorizing my Bible. You want to know why? Because I use the computer. And all i got to do is type in a little phrase and bam, it's right there. I never have to keep it up here anymore. So what happens to me is, is when someone says, um, what about this? And I think, oh yeah, I know about that. Boom, here's the verse. But then I think, where is that? Because it's been so long that I actually had to know where it was and turn to it. And I sometimes have to go, you know, I'm going to have to get back to you. I know, I, know where the, I, I know that verse is in there, but I can't remember where it's at. Computers killing us. Killing us. Now we got, and, and again, like my one son said to me the other day, and, and he's right. He's, I like using my phone because I can always type in a little phrase and I can find what I'm looking for. That's true, but that has destroyed, that's hurt me. It's a help, yes, at times. Man, sermon preparation is so much faster. You don't have to look up concordances anymore, in a concordance. You don't have to just read your Bible over and over and over and over again so that you know where everything's at. But boy, on the other hand, I don't remember where they're at. I want to encourage you to memorize Scripture with the location. So that then, and, and memorize things in, in sections, like boxes, like uh, topical. So you have two or three at a time, you learn about one subject. They're subject-oriented. That'll help you a lot. It'll help you a lot. And then that way, when that subject comes up, you'll have verses at your fingertips. You'll be able to help people. Counsel people from the Word, not just your own experience. That's important because your experience is very valuable. But it has to be congruent with the Word of God. Focus on Him. Look at Hebrews 12. What a a great passage again. Look at verse 2. It goes on to say, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, be focused on him. See, he takes us out of the mire, and he puts us on the mountain. I don't know about you, when you get in the mire, it's hard to look up. It's like, oh, 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 I'm so dirty. Then all of a sudden you get placed on the mountain. It's easy to look up. You want to know something? God wants you out of the mire. He separates you from the world to Himself. God is a jealous God, by the way. God does not like sharing you with the world. He don't like that. You know what? I don't like sharing my wife with any other guys. Go figure. But you know what? We have, that, we have a different mentality when it comes to us and God, though. We somehow feel like there's nothing wrong with messing around back down here in the mire again. 
What's the big deal? God's a God of grace. God of forgiveness. He's long-suffering, right? The problem is, God's up there going, you know what, I can't stand sharing you with that world over there. That bothers me. You're my property. I saved you from that. I, I separated you and got you apart from that world so that you could be sanctified and separated unto me. God wants you. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll give a little extra in the offering this week. God says, I don't care about your money. Your money does not excite me a bit. That's not what makes me happy when you put a few more dollars in the offering. What makes me happy is when, like that one brother, who was it? Brother Earl, I think, said, put yourself in the offering. That excites God. Because, see, God says that you have been sanctified unto Him. That you are separated or brought apart from the world to God. And so have I. Be focused on Him. Focused on Him. Then also be faithful to Him. Be faithful to Him. Look at Romans 6.13. We don't have much more time, but let's get through this. Romans 6.13. This is one of those tough passages for me. It's a hard one. At least to live. (laughs) I mean, I can read it. Don't misunderstand me. But it is hard to live. Notice what it says here. Romans 6.13 Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Uh, Wrong one. I'm in Ephesians. Let me read Romans 6. 6 6.13 Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. That's powerful. That's extremely powerful. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Well, that's sanctification, isn't it? That's personal sanctification. Don't hang around in the mire. Don't use your hands, your feet, your mind, your eyes, your ears for anything That has to do with sin or unrighteousness. Instead, yield yourself unto God. As those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You and I make decisions every day. How will I use my hands? Where will I allow my feet to take me? What will I listen to? What will I view? You you understand what I'm saying? That is a reality in the Christian life. God's will is that you be separated or set apart from the world. That the moment you recognize that your hands, feet, ears, eyes, mind is being utilized or stepping down into the mire again, you say, well, I have been sanctified, set apart from the world. I no longer have a right to waller in the mire I am set apart unto Jesus Christ. I'm going to use my hands, my feet, my ears, my eyes, my mind for righteousness. That's a decision we make. You say, that's so simple. I know, but how come then we keep wallowing around? Why is it we struggle so much with sin? I think sometimes it's because we don't know what the will of the Lord is. You have been sanctified in a very practical, and theoretically, you are already sanctified in the sense that God's already set you apart from the world. You're in His family. You've got a home in heaven. But now, practically speaking, you have to be sanctified on a regular daily basis. Every day, sanctification takes place. You have to choose, and so do I. Will I be separated unto God, or will I allow myself to be part of that world again? I have to know the will of the Lord. I don't want to be unwise. 
I do not have a right to be there. Every time I step down into that mire, I have to know in my heart that is not the will of God. It was not the will of God to watch that. It was not the will of God to think that. It was not the will of God to see that. It was not the will of God to hear that. I have transgressed God's law and God's will. I am not right with God. I am to be separated from the world unto Jesus Christ. That's the will of the Lord. Don't be ignorant about it. Don't be, don't be foolish about it. Don't try to somehow justify your sin. The will of God is that you are sanctified or separated or set apart unto Him. It's that simple. If you want to play in the playground of sin, then at least admit that you are wicked and that you are truly breaking your God's heart. And your Savior's heart. Hey, the will of God is that all be saved. And the will of God is that we're all, all those that are saved are sanctified. That means set apart. The sacred service unto God. Set apart from the world. Set apart to God or the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the will of God. That's just two aspects of it. And we need to be very aware of that. As a matter of fact, we're to move from one crowd to another. So it's that simple. It's very practical. Do you, you know why most drug addicts struggle with quitting drugs? Because they don't get rid of their friends. You know what? A drug addict would be... You know the wisest, one of the wisest things a drug addict could ever do? Is move and tell no one and don't have a phone. Don't even have a phone. And don't tell anybody where you're at. Do you understand what I'm telling you? You know why? Because they're usually drawn back by what? The crowd. You know what draws you and I back? The crowd. It's usually what draws us back. And by the way, we may not be hooked on a physical drug, but we are definitely hooked on a drug. It's called flesh. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll be tempted to be drawn back to it all the time. It's just the way it is. So we have to be so careful that we, we move from one crowd to another. Why do you think it's so important that we're all here tonight? Because as long as we're out there, whether we realize it or not, there are negative influences. Uh, not only demonic influences, but there's sinful influences. I mean, let me ask you something. Are you as tempted to sin... In your mind, sir, while you sit in this service tonight or if you were at the mall tonight? I'm just curious. Don't answer, please, because we know the answer. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to go to the mall. I'm just saying this. We need this place. Why? Because we are separated out of the mire and set on a mountain. And we cannot allow ourselves to remain back in that mire. And it's easier to fall back into it if, we've not ever, if we're not allowing ourselves to be influenced by the right crowd. We need God's house, and we need God's people, and we need this place. It's not just something we do because that's what we're supposed to do. No, God has enabled us to have... This is a privilege that we have, and it's a tremendous opportunity to, to remain pure. When we know the will of God, and we say to ourselves, I want God's will in my life, you will immediately recognize the need for God's house every time the doors are open. If indeed the will of God is a priority in your life. You're here because it's obviously a priority to you. Praise God for that. But recognize the moment that you do not need this place. It's because someone or something else has filled that void. You say, I don't need the church. But guess what? It's because someone else has taken its place. Something else has taken its place. Listen, if I'm tied up in sports, I don't need God's house. I mean, I may need it, but I don't see a need for it because I've got something else occupying my time, something occupying my mind. I don't even slow down long enough to realize that I'm missing out on something. The Holy Spirit may convict me from time to time, but it's not enough because I'm too tied in. I'm too, you know, wrapped up in it. 
I need, I need the place. Who do, who do I, where am I going to find somebody that believes like I believe? Feels like I feel? Has the desires that I have to please God? Am I going to find it out there? No, I find it right here with you. And you find it here with me. But we need that. And it's God's will that we change crowds. So if you've gotten saved recently, you better get away from that crowd. The only reason you interact with that crowd is to get them right with God. To win them to Christ. Oh yeah, you can still talk to them, but if they're causing... Listen, if you're a drug addict tonight, and you just got saved, I'm telling you now, you let somebody else worry about where they spend eternity. You get away from them. Because if not, you'll be right back where you were. You better, I'm telling you, you better use some real wisdom there. You better talk to somebody that's got some, some spiritual uh, growth that can s- test your mind and your spirituality and recognize whether or not you're strong enough to deal with that and maybe do that with you and not by yourself. I'm not saying neglect them necessarily, but you better be careful. I'd take my Sunday school teacher with me when I visited that person and I'd be bold witness so that they would know I'm not playing. And then I would get rid of my number. I'd say, I don't want you calling me. Matter of fact, I changed my number and I'm not giving it to you. I'll contact you. I don't want them calling me. I'd give them my teacher's number. They want to come to church, they can call him. But if they call you, they're going to get you back in drugs. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for just your uh, love and grace for us. Sometimes, Lord, we... uh, we complicate the Christian life. We, we act as though it's some, some mystical thing. It's not. It's very practical. Lord, we thank you for the simplicity of your word. First of all, your will is that none be, be lost, that everyone be saved. That everyone be saved. And then, Lord, those that are saved are to be sanctified. They're to be set apart for sacred service. Set apart from the world. Set apart unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it's so easy in my life to gravitate toward the world. It's easier to travel downhill than up. Lord, I know, Father, probably it's the same in many lives that are represented here. Although, Father, we are here tonight and our heart is to please you, boy, the devil knows our weaknesses. Help us not to be foolish concerning your will. To always remember that it is never your will that we are mudding ourselves again or getting dirty, but that we are to be set apart from that world, the muck and the mire. And we are to be set apart unto you. And that there are people all around us that need Jesus Christ because it is your will that they be saved. So Lord, help us to step out by faith. Do our best, filled with your Spirit, to reach them. Now help us tonight in these next few minutes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet.